Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two on uh, musculoskeletal trauma. And the first part, we went through a lot of the principles and techniques and some of the things we try to work on, and we spoke about pelvic trauma. Now move to the upper extremity. Point I'll make is in the upper extremity, for the most complicated cases, is where CT is best. Simple fractures, typically it's not necessary unless you're looking for a specific question. If you're looking for vascular injury, of course, um, such as gunshot wounds, stab wounds, and the like, as I'll show you, then of course CT is just wonderful. But things with complicated injuries, so a fractured dislocation, and here you nicely see the scapula fracture, you also see the avulsion of the inferior part of the glenoid, very nicely seen, so you know this patient needs surgery. If not, the patient will keep dislocating the shoulder. Or this example with a gunshot wound, where you really can appreciate the extent of the injury. Scapular fractures are commonly missed, and look at this subtle fracture in this case. Minimal, if any, displacement, but very nicely seen. Now, in complex injuries, even in pediatric patients, it can be helpful. This patient fell off a bike. You can see the complex injury through the epiphyseal plate. Very nice slippage. The question is, where would you put the pins? What do you need to do? You can do a low-dose CT. You're not looking for a tumor. You're not looking for anything very subtle. But again, very nice mapping infinite number of planes, so even in a child who can't really move, can't be positioned, this indeed works very nicely. And Laura Fayad wrote a very nice article talking about, given that trauma is the leading cause of morbidity and mortality in children, MDCT plays an important role in the evaluation of potential injury in the pediatric trauma patient. And she continues on making the point that enables the detection and characterization of abnormalities and provides data that alter decisions about patient care. And that article, we covered some of the applications from high-speed trauma, motor vehicle accidents, to pelvic fractures, spinal fractures, and the like. So again, things to think about. Again, in pediatric patients, we want to minimize the dose, but the right application, done correctly, becomes critical. Another example, patient, this is an adult, patient with an anterior dislocation. You can see the fracture of the greater tuberosity. You can see the orientation, the impaction uh, of the uh, humerus on the glenoid. You can see the fragmentation. You can see that here with the high resolution and standard resolution images. You can see the importance of selecting the right kernel for showing the detail of the bone. You can see how the piece of bone was avulsed, literally stripped off from the humeral head, and the associated hematoma with it. And again, I'm showing you a number of different images of the same case. Complex injury, CT works nicely. No need for positioning. Another patient, elbow trauma, dislocation fracture, unusual, complicated injuries, hard to evaluate. Here you see the radial component of the fracture. You can see the ulnar component. You could see as we create the 3D images and rotate around the orientation of where the humerus is to the olecranon. Very nice visualization in multiple planes of the patient's dislocation. You also can see in this case, of course, the fracture, another patient, radial head fracture. Sometimes you can't see the fractures on the uh, routine plane film. CT works very nicely, particularly with 3D. Very subtle fracture, slight step off, slight impaction, nicely seen on 3D imaging. Or in this example, where it's the radial head, a very thin, non-displaced fracture. 
Here it is on the sagittal view as well as the 3D view. Good example of a very opaque 3D view, which is not ideal for looking at subtle fractures, but transparent 3D views really are. So again, very nicely shown. Within the radius and ulna fractures, as we get to the wrist, the more complicated injuries, particularly the intraarticular extension of the fractures, uh, CT works very nicely. Again, look at the high-res images. Look at the fracture line through the articular surface, seen in many projections. You can see the carpal bones. Look at the alignment. Look for any secondary fractures. Very nicely seen in this regard. And here it is again in sort of the coronal plane. And you can see very nicely where we're able to choose the optimal plane. And again, the high-res bone images work very well here. When you speak about the carpal bones, often injuries are obvious. Here's a scaphoid fracture through the mid-third of the scaphoid. See nicely in 3D mapping. But sometimes things aren't always that obvious. In this case, the fracture was missed on plain x-ray. When you look very carefully, you can see a trapezoid fracture right there. Okay? Easy to see on a high-res image. And it's not just this case. Article by Wellong, 30% of wrist fractures were not prospectively diagnosed on radiography, suggesting that CT should be considered after a negative x-ray if clinically warranted. Again, that's very impressive. 30%. The location of a dorsal scaphoid avulsion fracture emphasizes the need for specific radiographic views or cross-sectional imaging for diagnosis. And often that cross-sectional imaging is a whole lot easier. And you can see very, very impressive results. So again, very important, and CT is playing a major role in these injuries. And again, we know it's not trivial to miss an injury because then the complications from osteonecrosis to nonunion to degenerative arthritis, persistent pain, functional compromise, are the complications of missed carpal bone fractures. And sometimes people with scaphoid injuries, for example, it's hard to get union, even when diagnosed on time and surgical intervention is necessary. In this case, a pin is in place. So again, whatever the management decisions are, here it is in high res, a th 3D mapping and CT in general provide the information you need for making the decisions both in lesion detection, fracture detection, as well as in management. Very nicely shown. Same principles are true in the lower extremity. In the knee, for example, tibial plateau fractures, sometimes we'll do it because we're not certain there's a fracture present or can't see the fracture line and we have a high suspicion. Same thing with ankle injuries, but also the more complicated the injuries, the more the CT is indeed helpful. So in tibial plateau fractures, often the question is degree or distance of compression so that we can determine whether or not patient gets surgery. Five millimeters tends to be the key. So in this case, tibial spine is fractured, but no significant uh, displacement or compression. Here, look at the articular surface of the tibia, marked soft tissue swelling, marked fragmentation, but you really appreciate it when you look at the coronal view. Sometimes the fractures are so extensive you can't do surgery right away. You wait for some healing, and then you do surgery with plates and screws, but you can see the tibial spline, the medial plateau, the lateral plateau, and as you go through the 3D images, look at the degree of displacement of the articular surface, you know, 12, 13 millimeters downward. Very difficult to do well in those cases. Now, with lower extremities, as in the upper extremities, trauma by gunshot wound. 
patient was shot. You want to look for vessel injury, CT angiography, get about a 50-second delay, is spectacular for doing that. Look how nicely you can see that vascular map. Uh, very nicely showing you the superficial femoral, the popliteal, down to the trifurcation vessels. As we get closer to the ankle, Taylor fractures can be very subtle. You can see one here very nicely. You can see it again on the high-res bone images. You also see a lateral malleolar fracture. The, the ankle at times can be very difficult on plain films, particularly with subtle injuries. Now, in some of the non-subtle injuries, like this comminuted fracture dislocation, is the complexity of the injury that drives you to CT. Because look at the displacement on the articular surface. This is a dislocation very difficult to determine the extent of injuries and the involvement. And again, as we look through the Salter classification, just think about that. Because look at this example of a Salter 4. Look at the slippage along the epiphyseal plate. Look at the fracture line going to the articular surface. All of this information indeed becomes critical, and it becomes critical for making management decisions. I showed you an example of a talus fracture before. Here's a more complicated injury of the talus. And again, looking at it from different perspectives, you also see the posterior malleolus, medial malleolus, lateral malleolus all have fractures. So the number of fractures, the more injuries, the orientation, the complexity in determining management, this is where surely CT nicely excels. We sometimes do fracture evaluation of the foot, the metatarsals, particularly when we're looking for Lisfranc fractures, it indeed becomes very important. Really nice 3D views can show you the extent of injuries. Now I've mentioned a few times about the mode of trauma, and the one you always think about are gunshot wounds or stab wounds when you think about the extremities. Because then you're looking for vascular pathology. Maybe it's active extravasation of contrast, Maybe it's pseudoaneurysm formation. Maybe it's abrupt narrowing of the vessel or loss of opacification of a segment of the artery or even an AV fistula. Now, some challenges in looking at the extremity from a technical perspective. Typically, we talk about the pitfalls, poor injection rate, poor timing, patient motion, and at times artifact from uh, metal can be a problem. But if you do studies correctly, and again, master the timing, vessel tracking works very nicely in most cases, you can be very good. Even at four slice, look at the sensitivity and specificity that was reported. And as you go to 16 slice and go to 64 slice, you can see the articles are even better, MDCT angiography, substantial potential as the initial diagnostic method in patients with suspected arterial injury after upper or lower extremity trauma. Again, Anderson with 64 slice CT. Uh, you can get adequate technical studies, the majority of patients, and it's excellent for evaluation. Upper extremity, for example, in conjunction with clinical assessment, 88% of patients with undergo with penetrating injuries to undergo conservative management. And one of the big things about CT is non-invasive study takes a few seconds. You don't need to go to angio. Most of the time, there's no injury. Even with some of the best gunshot wounds, I've seen fractures, but it's rare to see those vascular injuries. And so you can often stop at that point. So those are the things we'll look for, and I'll show you some examples. First, a practical thing. Key thing is make the patient comfortable. I could do all sorts of post-operative uh, uh, 
3D, get the right plane and perspective. But if the patient moves during the study, there's nothing I can do. So make sure the patient's comfortable, depending how their injury is. You often like to put the arm over the head, but sometimes you can't. Well, don't. Scan delay will depend where you're scanning, upper extremity in the 25 to 30 second range. Again, good injection rates, 5 cc's, ideal of about 100 to 120 cc's of contrast with thin sections and overlapping, 0.75 by 0.5. And some examples, stab wound, you see the air within the muscle looking for injury. Here's the soft tissues and skin. Then we go through that, and now we see the axillary artery, we see the brachial artery. Everything is intact. There's no vascular injury. I can go a little fancier, I can take the bone away, and now I'm showing you volume rendering and MIP. Showing you very nicely that there is no vascular injury. Another patient, stab wound, pneumothorax, you see the air extending along the great vessels into the neck. Well, here it is. There's the chest tube in place, but look how nicely you can see the axillary artery and the brachial artery. I show you this case to also make the point that we typically do bone editing. You want to be very careful. When you do bone editing, often the first rib will touch the patient's left subclavian and can create a potential error right here where it creates the pseudo-lesion because it grabs part of the vessel. So you want to be very, very careful. What I find to be very helpful is I don't remove the first rib, and so the first rib is there in the data set. I show the vessel going over the first rib. I also have a very good marker. So when I take the bone away, look at that nice marker I have, and I don't have any of the potential pitfalls. So that's probably a good rule. And of course, once you have the vessel, you want to touch it proximal and distal to really track that vessel. Very, very nicely shown in this example. So there's no vessel injury. Another example. Pretty impressive gunshot wound. Look at that comminuted fracture. But look at the patient's axillary to brachial to radial and ulna arteries. The vessel is intact. You can rotate the data sets. But look how nicely you can see the vessel. Although there is such significant bony injury with multiple fragments of bone, you're not seeing any vascular injury. Okay? There probably are small vessels that are involved, but nothing of any consequence. And you can see it very nicely here. This case does make the point that often the metal from a gunshot wound can cause artifacts or potentially obscure things, but typically it's not going to be an issue affecting your diagnosis. Another patient, look at this case. Looks like an artifact. Do you realize what you're looking at there is a broken blade? This person was stabbed. They're very lucky that the blade broke before it went through them and into their heart. Look at that blade there. Again, right against the vessel, but amazingly, this patient didn't bleed to death. Another example, arm extended. Look at the patient's axillary to brachial artery, and you see the soft tissue injury in the muscles over the shoulder. And here we see a very tiny foci of bleeding off a branch vessel of the axillary artery, which you can see nicely there. Okay, so even small bleeds can be seen. And it's not just the upper extremity, lower extremity. Here was a patient trauma. You see active extravasation by the upper thigh. You can see as I go through the data sets, the active bleed from a pseudoaneurysm off the superficial femoral artery. So again, upper extremity, lower extremity, high upper extremity, high lower extremity, lower lower extremity, wherever you go, it's easy to define vascular injury. Another example, gunshot wound. Look at the injury to the soft tissues. Now we'll go through the images. 
You see the superficial femoral artery where, where it joins the popliteal. You see the vessels narrowed. There's no extravasation. The bullets are nearby. This is spasm due to vessel injury. This patient should do well. Very nicely shown with bone editing. So there's no extravasation, but there is some narrowing. So you've got to think about spasm. As opposed to this case, yes, there's some artifact from the bullets, but look at the air and soft tissue, and look at the extravasation of contrast from the popliteal artery. Yes, if I give you MIP images, there's a lot of artifact from the bullet fragments, but when done correctly, it does not impact on your diagnosis. And that is the key story. As you look at these images, you recognize also how good 3D is for looking at muscle, and muscle injury is something we also comment on. Uh, and so you think about CT, we're really doing the spectrum from skin to muscle to bone to vessels. We can talk about every different compartment. So that's a quick run through some of the applications. There's a lot more in terms of trauma. I didn't cover spine, for example. Many other things I can look at. And it's, we'll come back later on looking at some of the other musculoskeletal applications. But I think a good conclusion is to do a good trauma exam, you need to know why you're doing the study, you need to know what questions need to be answered, and then you can design the study to be able to answer those questions. And if you do that well, you're going to be helping patient management and be a key in patient decision making. So with that, hopefully you liked this talk, and that was two of two, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.